morning, everyone. We are so grateful that you are joining with us today. Um, listen, we are on week eight of the book of Ephesians. Now, when I first was thinking about Ephesians, I was like, oh yeah, short book. We'll be there for a couple weeks. We're like week eight and we're still only on chapter four. So here we go. We're not a snail pace, but we're, we're um, d- diving deeply enough into this book that was authored by a guy named Paul who was a missionary uh, um, who, who, who encountered Jesus in an amazing way and then gave his life to telling the world the story of the gospel. Now, when Paul is arrested for speaking truth to power, Paul's like, listen, I don't want to stop. I don't want to just call it quits just because I'm stuck in this room. And so Paul puts pen to paper or whatever it was that they had back then. And he begins to write down these words to the churches um, that, were, that, were, that he had planted in the whole area. And that's how we get the book of Ephesians. This was one of Paul's writings that went to all the churches in order to instruct them and to encourage them. And one of the things that Paul has focused on so far in the book of Ephesians is actually talking about what the gospel is. What is this thing called the gospel? Who is Jesus and who are we because of Jesus? Now, when we hit chapter four, there's this shift that happens in everything that Paul is talking about. He starts giving us all of these do's and all of these don'ts on how to live our lives. Now, some people love it. Like some people get to this part of scripture and they're like, yes, something practical, something that I can sink my teeth into, something that I can sort of measure myself, how good I'm doing, how bad I'm doing, and also measure other people. How good are you? How bad are you? Right? Something I'm familiar with us. For me growing up in the church, this was like part of where we spent the majority and bulk of our time trying to make sure that me as a teenager didn't go astray and do some rebellious thing. It was hammered into me. Do this. Don't do that. And then it was layered on with a code of guilt, right? (laughs) That's how these sorts of parts of scripture were treated. Now, other people, like some people love it. Other people hate it because they have that background. And all they think is this is the worst part of the Bible. This is the reason why so many people object to Christianity. They're like, stop telling me how to live my life. Why is Paul so worried about everybody else's behavior? And if you only read these few verses, then, then, and you read them out of context, then you could make the assumption that that is exactly what Paul is trying to do, that he's trying to manage everybody's contra- their behavior and control their morality. But if you look at the bigger picture of what Paul's doing, it's particularly what he's doing within the context of the book of Ephesians, you'll see that Paul is interested in something so much bigger than telling you what to do or not to do. What Paul is really getting at is the, is the core source of our motivations about why we behave the way that we do. See, Paul has this hypothesis, and, and I think he's right. Paul has this hypothesis that our behavior is sort of just this surface phenomenon. It's just this thing that happens on the surface. And what generates that surface phenomenon is these deeply rooted ideas about who we think we are and our identity and our worth and our value and how much value we think we have or we don't have. And in light of the gospel, Paul sort of begins to uh, unpack the next three chapters and 
Um, And in light of everything that he said in these past seven weeks, he begins to unpack the next things. He says, if that is who you are, then, then this is what it means. If that is your identity, then deeply rooted, then here's some of the surface phenomenon and changes that is going to follow. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this morning with two questions. I'm going to ask one and then the other. And then you're going to have the opportunity to talk with the people around you about this thing. And if you're sitting by yourself or you don't have somebody, then scoot next to somebody because we're going to have a, a, just a couple breaks where we're just going to take a second and we're going to talk to each other. And remember, this is what the body of Christ is about. We don't enter into this uh, world of uh, following Jesus on our own as an individual. We do it as a community, right? We're a part of a body of believers. And so knowing one another and engaging one another is a part of this process. So the first question that you're going to talk about with your people, first introduce yourself, make sure they know your name, and then you're going to ask and answer this question. What is one thing that Paul has written about your identity in Christ so far in Ephesians. So think back on any of the seven weeks and like you can think like, oh, I remember at some point Beth said something like this and it was about who I am in Christ and just pull that out. Now, if you're like, I know nothing, memory of a goldfish, like I haven't been here, that's fine. Like we are not here to judge one another. I just want to give us an opportunity to sort of uh, use those, that, that brain memory and sort of remember what is it. Now, if you're like, I don't remember what she said, but I know this is true. You can cheat and pull that out too. That's fine. We're, we're, nobody's getting a grade here. But what is one thing that Paul's written about your identity in Christ so far in Ephesians or something you remember? All right, ready? Go. Talk to the people in your group. All right, you got 30 more seconds. All right, go ahead. Throw something out. What, did, what came up in your conversation? What was something that you remember that Paul said about our identity in Christ? Who are we? We're his inheritance, right? In chapter one, he talks about like, we don't inherit God, but God inherits us because of the death of Jesus. We're this treasured possession. Yeah, what else? We're chosen, yeah. He picked us for his kickball team. Number one, we are chosen. Anything else? We're his handiwork. He's created us for works of service. At the very beginning, he said, I'm going to craft you. You're my workmanship. I'm going to go ahead, and you're ready to do some things because of the way that you've been created. Anything else you can remember? Heirs. We're the heirs. Yes. You got one, Rosanna? We are one body. We talked a lot about how 
all of the walls of hostility have been torn down. We are now one body in Christ. We're united. And the things that define and divide us out there don't stand a chance in here. They don't matter in here because of what Christ has done. It's surpassed any of those divisions. He's crossed every cultural, ethnic, national, language boundary. We are all one in Christ. Great. So, We've got, we're in inheritance, we're chosen, uh, we're one. Um, uh, I forget the other, th- what was it? Handiwork we're the handiwork and we're the heir, right? Okay, so those things, based on those things, here's another question. If someone believed that those things were true, handiwork, heir, inheritance, chosen, uh, united, one body. Okay, if somebody believed that those things were true about themselves, what evidence might pop up in their life to demonstrate it? So if you had one that you named in your group, stick to that one and talk about that one. But what evidence would pop up to demonstrate that that was true in your life? All right, ready? Go. It's okay. It's okay. It's hard. It's all right. (laughs) Summer break. (laughs) School's out. All right. Thirty more seconds. (laughs) Making you think today. All right. All right. So I know that that's a hard question, and I know that it's summer break and your brains aren't on vacation. I totally get it. But the reality is, is this is the type of thing that Paul is challenging us to think about, right? And the challenge really is, because it is a challenge, is that we can know these things in our minds, but what does it take to move them to a place where they actually begin to be lived out in our lives, that we feel confident enough about them that our and our identity is so rooted in that truth that the surface phenomenon of our behavior begins to change and so we're going to look at that in the second half of chapter four because this is exactly what paul is talking about now we're going to start in um chapter four verse 17 so if you have a bible or you want to pull it up on your phone you're welcome to do that we're going to be reading from 17 to the end uh, or to, through the beginning of, of of chapter five okay the first two verses of chapter five All right, but we're going to start in verse 17. This is what Paul says. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, wait a second. Remember for a second who it is that Paul is writing to. 
right? If you go back to chapter three, the one right before, at the very beginning of that chapter, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you, write to you for the sake of you Gentiles, right? He's writing to Gentiles. And then in chapter, um, chapter two, verse 11, he even says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, he's talking to Gentiles. And then he's saying like, hey, listen, no longer live as the Gentiles do, it would sort of be like Paul writing to uh, someone in this room and saying, hey, you American citizens, like you people who live in America, don't live like the Americans do. Don't do that. Hey, you people from China, don't live like the Chinese do. Hey, you, those of you from Jamaica, don't live like the Jamaicans do, right? Even though he's addressing the very people, he's saying, listen, don't let the defaults of your culture or your nationality, or your ethnicity be a thing that dictates how you live and behave. I know that that is who you once were, but you have now been called out of that. You are no longer defined by what it is that once defined you. You're something else. And Paul is going to name in a second what that something else is. He's going to say, hey, you've got a new humanity that's created with the new human who is Christ Jesus, who lived and died and was raised for us. And so right from the beginning, Paul is sort of challenging their identity. Listen, don't, don't live like those Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm writing to Gentiles. Don't, don't live like the Gentiles. You have been called out. You are something now wholly different. You are Christians who happen to be Jamaican, who happen to be Chinese, who happen to be Indian, who happen to live in America. But you are first and foremost, above and all else, something totally different than anything that you once were. And so let's look at that again in verse 17. Paul goes, so I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they no longer have any sensitivity. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Paul sort of paints this really bleak portrait of the Gentiles who they are no more, right? If you remember from a couple weeks ago when we were in chapter 2, there's a lot, a lot of this imagery that Paul's using here actually goes back to that. Now, they didn't take this long to go through the book, so, so it would have been a little more fresh in their mind, but remember that whole thing about the walking dead, that they don't even know that they're dead. They're just like going through life. Remember that he described them as enslaved to the powers of the air, mastered by the kingdom of this world. Paul describes a state of being where people have Lord of lost all sensitivity to morality, that other translations in the Bible um, use the word calloused, like calloused on your fingers or your feet. Um, I have really bad calluses on my toes, which you don't care about and you don't want to know. But my husband always says that they're dagger toes because they could cut somebody with how sharp my calluses are, right? I know, you didn't want to know that, but it's true. <laughs> I don't want to shave them off either because I, I like them calloused feet. Anyways, that's, total, that's a total side note. Okay, um, Paul, he says, 
calloused. He says, oh, and sometimes we like meet people, like we encounter people and they're mean, like they're awful. And we wonder how did they get that way? Like, how did they get so dagger feet? Like, how did that happen? It wasn't like one choice. It was this slow desensitizing one choice after the next, one day after the next, that slowly they began to lose all sensitivity. They disconnected. There was a darkening of their minds that they essentially no longer had these connections between themselves and each other and God. There's, this is part of this bigger picture of how Paul talks about humans who've sort of separated themselves from God by declaring themselves God in God's place. They've sort of set themselves up and said, I know the difference between good and evil. I will decide apart from God's wisdom what is right and what is wrong and what is moral and the standard by which everyone should be living. And what Paul says and scripture says is that that mindset is ruining their lives. They're becoming more and more callous to this sensitivity slowly over time. These switches begin to turn off and they begin to be darkened in their thinking. They begin to turn off the lights to their own failures and begin to highlight the failures in others. And we begin to take advantage of situations and people and five years down the road, we're like, how did I ever get here? Or how did they get here? And it's because they formed these calluses over time. And Paul says that all of that starts with our thinking. That in our minds, we sort of made this mistake of who we were. We thought ourselves God in God's place. And we thought that we had the power and the ability to define what was good and what was evil apart from God's wisdom. And so Paul continues. He says that, living that way, that darkening of your minds, living like the Gentiles do. Listen, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, this is the NIV translation. And I don't know how much you know about translations, but the reason there are so many different translations is because when you're, the, the Bible was not written in English, right? It was written in some ancient languages and we're translating it. And the translators are trying to figure out how do I do my best to serve the text in its original context and help you understand it in a language that it was not written in. And so there's always this, this sort of spectrum of like, do you do a word-for-word -word translation and say, this is exactly what the Greek word is, so this is exactly what the English word is, even though that's not really what they intended? Or do you go to the other side and say, hey, this is what they were trying to say, so I'm going to like paraphrase it, and I'm going to try to help you understand what it is, but it's not an exact word-for-word -word translation, right? So you have all of these different translations that are trying to do different things, and that's why you have different translations. Have you ever thought like, oh, one's more sacred than the other? No, 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 it's not one's more sacred, it's that the translators and the scholars behind those are trying to do something different. This is an extremely difficult passage to translate because Paul is using words in the original Greek that didn't, weren't used that way. And so they're like, what do I do with this? We don't have language to describe this. So this is how it's talked about in the NIV. But in the ESV, I think it gets at it better, what Paul really meant. In verse 20, instead of saying, however, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, Paul says it this way, or the ESV says that he says it this way, but that is not the way you learned Christ. 
That's not the way you learned Christ. Now we're thinking, you're missing a preposition. That's not the way you learned about Christ. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. No, 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 because you don't just learn about Christ. You don't learn facts about him. We don't memorize verses about him. You learn Christ like you learn a language, like you learn Spanish, like slowly over time it fuses into the very parts of your brain and being. And when you are fluent, you can just speak it. You don't even have to translate it one for another. It just becomes a part of your thinking, a part of your being. And what Paul is getting at is when you learn Christ, it's a truth that invades your entire reality. And it becomes so pervasive that it changes the way you engage the entire rest of the world. What's interesting is actually the verbiage of our bells, our rule of life, bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. That learn one, we add, learn about Christ, but when it was originally constructed, when we, this is what we're thinking about. Learn Christ. We want you to take time each week to learn Christ, to understand it better, to allow the truth of that to wash over you, for it to pervade every aspect of your life, that you'd be so deeply rooted in it in your core that it changes the surface phenomenon that's happening around you. And then Paul keeps going and he tells us to do three things. That if we're learning Christ, this is, that's not the way you were supposed to live when you learned Christ. And then Paul says, instead you were taught three things. And he continues in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to one, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Two, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And three, to put on a new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we're going to talk about those three things real quick. What does that look like? How do we live this out? What are we taught? <clears throat> now, first, Paul uses this really interesting metaphor here. He says to take off your old self. It's literally a phrase that's like taking off a jacket, taking off a dirty shirt, taking off a coat. That's not who you are anymore. You don't wear those things. Take it off. Now, in the ancient world, this was a common metaphor that was actually used um, with, uh, um, with philosophers and scholars and teachers. This was a common metaphor to take off something and put something else on, right? And oftentimes, the way it was used to talk about behavior and values, listen, take off your hate and put on love. Hey, you need to take off that ethic and put on this ethic. Hey, you need to take off rudeness and put on niceness, right? But it's really important that that is not what Paul is saying here. He's not asking us to be nice. In fact, this is one of the things that like makes my blood boil and I really hold it in is that when somebody like if somebody asks a question like like what can we do as a Christian like how can we be a witness for Christ and somebody's like um, and if this, you've ever done this like I even feel bad saying this was not planned I probably should like think about whether I say this or not okay I'm gonna say it when somebody says like something like how should you be a witness for Christ and they're like well I smile at the grocery clerk like I try to be nice to people I'm like oh. Let's just, why are, what are we doing? I am not in this to be nice. That is not what Paul is talking about. That's not what this is. To be a Christ, to be a Christian isn't to be nice. 
Paul doesn't, nobody's in this for niceness. It's newness. It's aliveness. It's a new humanity that's been created and defined by the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, listen, take off that old self, he's not saying take off those old behaviors. He's saying take off that old person. The better translation is take off that old man. Take off that old humanity. The thing that used to define what it is you did or didn't do. Because that humanity, that humanity is being corrupted by human desires. And so you got to take that off, just like an old shirt that's been stained. You spilled ketchup all down the front. Take it, take it off. This old humanity is all messed up. There's sort of these desires in that humanity. And desires aren't bad. Like, we're not Buddhists. We're not saying, like, rid yourself of all desires. That's a, that's a Buddhist concept. What we're saying is, no, 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 desires are good. Like, desires are fine. There are real healthy desires to be in relationships with other people. There's a desire to eat food. That's a good thing, right? There's a desire for pleasure and joy. Like, all of those desires are fine. Paul's not speaking against desires that if we would just, like, no longer have desires, we'd be more like Christ. That's actually a Buddhist and a Gnostic idea. We'll get in. Okay, put that to, he's not saying that. He's saying desires are fine. What he's saying is that your old self gets corrupted by those good desires. Your old self gets tricked by those desires. Your old humanity deceives you into thinking that if you could just get more of those desires, more food, more pleasure, more money, more accolades, more relationship, more whatever, more then you would be safe and your life would have meaning and purpose. And what Paul is saying is that even if you could get all those desires filled, they will never give you what you really are looking for. Love, meaning, purpose, identity, worth, value, they will never Get it there for you. And so you're going to have to make this deliberate, conscious decision to take off all of those, that old identity and definition that defined your worth and your value and take it off. Take off that old self because it isn't who you are anymore. Now, this process is like a deliberate decision, right? We make a decision to do this. We make a decision to choose to follow Christ. Now, for me, this is how this has played out in my life. I made that decision when I was six, which I know is ridiculous. Like, does a six-year-old even understand? I swear I did. I understood. I made that decision when I was six. But there was a taking off of the old self that happened when I was 12 and then happened when I was 16 and then 18, and another one happened when I was 24, and 28, and 34, and then another one when I was 37. And so while this is a once and done, you are a new, there is a new humanity, there a take off that old humanity, there is a reality that sometimes we keep trying to like put on that old jacket. Does it fit? No, it doesn't, right? And there's this process which we have to go through and be like, shoot, I thought if I could just achieve that, that if I could just go after that, if I could have that, if I could look this certain way, that then I would have meaning and safety and worth and value. And Paul's like, dude, take it off. It's not going to do it because it's ruining us. It's corrupting us. And so I have a question. There's another question for you, a checkpoint, if you will, to make sure you're with me and you're thinking about yourself and not the 18 other people that you could apply this to, all right? 
Here's the question. Is there something that you desire that feels like if you would only achieve this, if I only could get this, that my life would have more meaning and safety and worth and value? What I'm asking here is a question about what is the old self that you're currently wearing? The thing that maybe is defining you, that if only you could go after that, if only you could achieve that desire. And that desire in and of itself may not be a bad thing. You may be like, you know what? I really think that if I was in a relationship with another person, that would be good. And that's fine. You can want that. But if you think that's the thing that's going to give you meaning and purpose and value, that may be an old self that you might need to take off. So I just want you to take a second and examine that for a second. What, what is going on? What am I trying to go after? All right? So go ahead and take a second with the people next to you and just have a little conversation about that. Go ahead. I'm going to give us 30 more seconds. All right. The desires that you named may not be bad desires. They may actually be good things. But what Paul would be saying is like, if you're trying to achieve that, thinking that that is the root of your identity, that that's going to give you your meaning and your worth and your value and your safety, he's saying that's corrupting you. And you've got to take that off. That's, 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 the, that's the way the Gentiles live. You've got to take that off. That's your old self. You have something new. And so what Paul says is, one, you've been taught that, you got to take off that, but, but also the second thing that Paul says that we've been taught when we learn Christ is to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Paul's telling us that when we learn Christ, that it's, he's not just saying like, hey, there's a new logical way of thinking that happens in our brain. He's saying, listen, there is a new attitude, there's a new spirit of your thinking, Things start to shift in your brain. You sort of have to retrain your brain about who it is that you are. Um, uh, I, now, I have a daughter who's turning 13 this summer, so teenage, yay. Uh, and in preparation, I'm reading a book called The Teenage Brain. It's 
fascinating. It's all about this neuroscience and development of the teenage brain and how their brains are wired very differently during this, during these, this, this time period. Um, it's flooded with all these different chemicals. It's way, way bigger than just a conversation about our changing bodies, right? Like, it's like your brain is developing in these crazy ways. And if we're paying attention, if we're working with teenagers, we need to be paying attention to that and we need to be understanding what is going on. But one of the things that they talked about in this book is that our brains, particularly when we're adolescents, but even as an adult, um, our brains start to uh, create neuron pathways to create sort of like um, highways in our brain, right? There's the back roads of like logic of how we think about things. But if you keep thinking about a thought over and over and over again, your brain like sears together, hey, this is a well-traveled path, like let's create a super highway so we can get there a little more quickly and we can allow that thought to infiltrate every aspect of what it is we do. Now that's a great thing when you have a positive thought in your brain. You know when it's a problem? When you have a negative thought in your brain. <laughs> that has created the superhighway. See, our brains are hardwired to sort of play certain tapes and messages, and these messages then pilot our behaviors and the actions that we take. Now, chances are you have a tape or a message in your brain. Now, my hope is that it's a positive one, but chances are you probably have a negative one too, that at some point in your life, somebody did something or said something and it was probably somebody who was really close to you. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just some random person that had no business saying something to you, but they did. And for whatever reason, we held on to that. And we created a superhighway in our brain that said, this, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And then that tape sort of became a definer or a limiter of our identity in all sorts of different ways. It made decisions for us that we were not even aware of about what we wore and didn't wore, what, we, what dreams we went after or which we didn't, what we chose to use our voice for and what we chose to stay quiet about. Now, I, talked, I was in a relationship with a, a college student um, at one time, and she was really, really struggling with an eating disorder, just really struggling with some disordered eating, had um, just a vision and, a, and an appearance of herself that was very different than what the reality was. I was making all sorts of decisions about it. And um, we began to walk this journey of, of, of having her follow Christ, of her learning Christ and trying to figure out what does it look like to take off that old self and, and to be made new in the attitude of her minds. And she, she shared with me that there was a tape. The tape that played in her mind was you're a fat piece of garbage that will never be anything significant. That was the tape that played, oh, that was the super highway that had worn a path in her brain. And this message wreaked havoc on her life. All sorts of decisions about relationships and what classes she chose and whether she would show up at a gathering or not. Like all sorts of different decisions were made because of this tape. And as she began to learn Jesus, she began to take what Jesus said about her, this new identity to heart, and it began to work on her, and one day, very slowly, she began to speak back to that voice in her brain. And she spoke back to it, and she says, she said, she said that she said to it, because we started to notice that there were changes happening in her life, and she said that she began to speak back to this voice. She said, I am already something. 
because Jesus loves me so much that he was willing to do anything for me. And she began to believe that she was who Jesus said that she was. She began to tell herself the gospel. And she began to have that be the well-worn path that was in her brain. So anytime her brain started to walk that old superhighway, she said, no, 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 mm-mm, mm-mm. We got a new attitude of our minds. We have a new superhighway that we're going to put together. And Jesus, and she just spoke herself, herself the gospel over and over, that Jesus came to live a life that she or we could never live, and that on the cross, he absorbed into himself all of the mess, all of the dysfunction, all of the failure of our old humanity, and all of the ways that human history has wreaked havoc on this world, he brought into himself. And because he loved us and this world so much, he lavished his grace and his mercy on people like you and me, failures like you and me. And his love was so permanent and so perfect that he raised Jesus from the dead and and showed us that whatever guilt or sin or death we have, it doesn't have the final word. And what this means is that the old humanity that you feel like you can't outrun or you feel like you can't outbehave or you thought was just going to be the final word on your life, it isn't the end. That God loves you and he's transforming you in a real and powerful way. That we are this community of people that are learning Christ and we're walking it out and trying to figure out how do we live this out? How do we allow the identity that is in us come out in all of these different ways. And that doesn't happen in one day. Like we may make that decision in one moment for some of us, but it is a process. It's a journey. And it's this perpetual renewal of your mind where you're creating new superhighways, new synapses in our brain. And then Paul tells us the third thing that we're supposed to do. He says, and then you're supposed to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness to put on a new self, a new identity, a new, a new coat, a new humanity that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here is the connection that Paul makes to um, behavior. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying he's making this connection between our identity and our behavior. Paul's saying that that old self, that old way of being is corrupt and everything around you, it'll mess up. And it produces a certain type of behavior. But this new identity, this new identity is created to produce something totally different. Now, here's how I think about it. In our community garden, I actually grabbed these this morning. We have a couple things growing. First of all, we have this lettuce, which, like, lettuce is fine, but it's like, you know, it's fine, right? Uh, it takes about 25 days for lettuce to go from seed to harvest, depending on what kind of lettuce you've got. Um, and it's good, whatever. These are plums, all right? They're tiny, but, but these are plums. And um, I planted a plum tree on this property for me and Zach's 10-year anniversary. Uh, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary. So that plum tree, yeah, yeah, that's really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that plum tree has been growing for five years, and this is the first year that we've had plums. Now, it's really silly, but I just want to point out, lettuce does not produce plums, right? Like, we get that. These are two different plants, and in the case of this, they have two different identities. 
And no matter how much this lettuce wants to produce plums, it's not going to do it. Now, how much, no matter how much I guilt this lettuce into producing plums, it's not going to do it. No matter how much I cast the fear of hell into this lettuce, it's not going to produce plums. No matter how much I tell it, it's better. You can do it. No, it's not going to produce plums. The only thing that's going to produce plums is what? A plum tree, right? A plum, plum tree. Now, this is what Jesus is doing in our lives. He's not saying, listen, you old self, like produce plums, make it happen, change your behavior. What Jesus is essentially doing is he actually goes into the core of our identity and he sh changes it. He shifts it. He says, listen, this is the new identity and the new self that you have. And this new self was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what you are being called to live out in the behavior is not like, hey, let us try harder to do better. You suck. No. He's saying, listen, I've made you into a plum tree. So, so do what it is that I've created you to do. Like, make plums. You have a new self that can do this. This is, this is who you are. You've been created in the image of God to produce righteousness and holiness. And then Paul continues, and we're going to wrap this up. He says, therefore, each of you must first put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. This is where Paul starts to get into the, like, this is what happens. This is the plums that come out of you being transformed into the plum tree. He says, listen, put off falsehood. No more lying. No more lying. He counters the old humanity practice of lying, and he counters it with truth-telling. He isn't saying that you need to tell the truth because liars go to hell. That was a did anybody learn that song when they were little? Yes, right? Revelation, Revelation, 7, 4, 21, 7, whatever it was. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, 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 burn. This was a, this was a song that was taught to me to teach me don't lie, right? So dark. What are we doing, right? This is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that, listen, we, what is a lie? What, why are you going to lie? It's this inability to own up to what you just did. And, and when we lie, it's sort of like saying, I would rather have a false view of myself and what I did than trying to justify who I am. Paul's saying, listen, we're this community of people where we're one body, and we share in common that we believe that we're so screwed up that somebody had to die for us in order to save us. And when you lie, essentially what you're doing is you've accepted that you're so screwed up that somebody had to die for you to save you, but you're not gonna admit that you told a lie or you messed up. Like, what? No, we get it. We don't need to lie about these things. That doesn't make any sense, no. In this community, in this new humanity, we expose the old self and then we put it off. And so let's, let's put spotlight on that old humanity and let's take it off and let's let's move on from here and then paul continues he says in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold 
Paul acknowledges that as we are members of a community, we're going to have relational conflict. He doesn't say don't get angry. Like he knows we're going to get, like we're trying to live in close proximity together and like do something missional for the kingdom, right? We're going to get mad at each other. We're human. And, and anger is not a bad thing. Anger is just this, this energy that where we're protecting something. Sometimes it's ourselves and sometimes it's other people and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, right? He says, listen, anger is not the problem. It's what you do with it. So when you're angry, use it to address the issue. Talk about it. Work towards forgiveness. And, and if not, if you're not going to work towards forgiveness, it creates these rifts. And so what we're going to do in this new humanity, with this new identity, is, is we're going to figure it out together. And Paul continues, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. You must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And Paul's comparing these, like, think this through. In the old humanity, you put yourself in the middle and you took what you wanted and what you needed and what you felt like you deserved in order to get ahead. And Paul's saying, listen, in this new humanity, we put Jesus in the center and then we put others close to that. And so what we need to do is we need to be living out this behavior that shares with one another. Renew your mind. Why is it that you keep putting yourself in the center and taking advantage of other people? Like, like what's going on with that? you got to dig deep and figure that out. Re, remake your mind. And Paul continues, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul's saying, listen, don't, don't talk rot, right? That, that word unwholesome talk, it, what it is is it literally means rot, rotten talk. Don't, don't say things that's going to introduce rot into the community. This is supposed to be a place in this new humanity where we build each other up and we encourage one another. So rotten talk, that's not what we do. We don't, we don't do that. That's, that's the old self, and we're taking that off. We're a community of people that build up one another on God's grace, that we're built on God's grace, and we're all about restoring these places. So it doesn't make any sense for us to, to have rotten talk. And then finally, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another, just as Christ forgave you. Now, as you're listening to this, you may be like, oh, I'm the worst. Like, I do all those things. Like, I got to get this old humanity off me. Like, I got to retrain my mind. And here's the deal. Like, I totally get it. But Paul ends this the same way he began it, with Christ's love. In chapter 5, 1, and this is the last part, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Because of all of this, you have this new humanity, a new way to live. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Paul is saying is like, listen, we don't need to appeal to guilt or fear because ultimately what has been sacrificed for us is out of love. Ultimately, this is a story of love. The core ethic of our whole humanity is love. We run everything that we do through this lens of how do we love God and love others? How do I love this person who is now a part of this new humanity with me? 
And the only reason that we can do this is because Christ first loved us. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something that was an act of love. It wasn't just this like emotional feeling he had towards us. He took an action, a behavior, and then for the rest of our lives, we have this opportunity to live out this new identity of being the loved people of God of being his inheritance, of being chosen, we're a part of something so new. And so guys, here's what I want us to walk away from this. I know that there are a lot of old tapes in our head that play all sorts of terrible things, all sorts of lies about who we are. And I believe that as a community following Jesus, we've got to address those. We've got to address those head on. Now, for some of us, that looks like confessing to one another, right? There's something about getting outside, it outside of our brain, just like that girl did for, uh, when she was in college, to me. Getting it outside of our brain in order to say, this is the tape that is playing, and I need a new tape. And so then what does it look like to then sort of, and, and maybe for some of you, it's not just telling somebody else, it's like, you need to, you need to get counseling, like, you need to go through this process of, of understanding why it is that that's the tape that's going on in your head. And you need somebody to help you walk through that process. And there's also a part of that that is, what does it look like for us to begin to wake up every day and be reminded, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm his divine inheritance. And to begin to practice crafting a new superhighway in our brain that renews our thinking and our thought that helps us take off our old self and put on this new humanity that we're being called to. And so if that's you, here's what I want to do. I want to take this next song, and I just want to pray for you. I'm going to be standing over here in the corner, and if you'd like prayer, I, I would love to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you specifically, what is the tape that is playing in your head? And what, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray. I'm assuming that if you're coming over, it's because you have a part of your brain that needs to be renewed. And I want to pray that for you, that you will be strong and you'll be brave. And then as the Holy Spirit begins to renew you, you will see that there's a new behavior that comes out of this new understanding of your identity.